Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. This week's guest is Jonathan Siegel, who has been with CBS Sports for the last 22 years. He started out as a statistician, became a broadcast associate, an associate director, and now he is a producer of NFL games each week, college basketball games, the NCAA tournament, and CBS coverage of soccer. Jonathan joining us before he covers the Titans-Bengals playoff game in Tennessee this weekend. Here's the conversation that we had on Thursday. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me here on the Sports Virus Podcast. I'm really happy to have you on, and uh, I would imagine that you're pretty excited about covering another NFL playoff game this weekend. Yeah, Joe, it is, uh, it's awesome to be with you. Thank you very much. It's a, a steam list of, uh, of people you've had on your podcast, so I'm happy to, to join the, the list of guests you've had. Uh, and I am really looking forward to heading to Nashville and, and covering the uh, Titans and the Bengals this weekend. One of those guests, Mark Grant, uh, you sat next to him every NFL game this year. He is the CBS sports director that uh, was on, and he called you a rising star on that podcast. I mean, it, it definitely it was one of those things that really stayed with me, uh, and I agree. You are a rising star, but in a way, you've been around a long time as well. Uh, so how did you take that when you, when you heard that from your, uh, you know, your colleague who has been directing games with you? Yeah, no, I mean, it's obviously, it's a, it was a great, uh, it was really nice of him to say, and a great honor when someone who's been doing this for so long at such a high level uh, has nice things to say about you. And, you know, Mark and I have, I think, four seasons now together, and it, it's, it's absolutely great. So him, hearing him say that was, was really nice. You know, during the season, you sometimes get to cover a team more than once, and this podcast definitely has a 49er slant. So I want to ask about what you think are the chances for the 49ers against the Packers. Uh, you know, you saw them play a couple times against the Bengals in Cincinnati and then in Santa Clara in that game where Trey Lance got the start against Houston. Yeah, they're a good team. I mean, obviously, we don't usually see a lot of NFC teams, so to see the same team twice uh, from the NFC was, was fun. Um, you know, you watch all their games, Joe. You gave us more good stats about the 49ers than any other team this year, so <laughs> I appreciated that. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're good. The way they play, uh, their defense is great. Uh, I mean, I think Kyle Shanahan is an unbelievable coach. He's, he's definitely, in my opinion, one of the best coaches in the league. Uh, you could just see his brain moving as he's calling plays and, and thinking about how to use the players to the best of his ability. Um, and when we meet with, with Shanahan and then you know, other 49ers, but Shanahan particularly, he's really insightful about what he tells us about certain players and how he uses players. And um, you, know, you mentioned we did the game that, that uh, Trey Lance started uh, and just the stuff that Shanahan was telling us about, about him and how he could use him and his strengths and, and what he still needed to work on were really, were really great. And it showed in the game. And I thought Trey was, um, you know, was good. He's obviously got a bright future in San Francisco. Uh, I think the way Garoppolo is playing right now, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm still a heck of a quarterback. Um, but i, I got to be honest, I like the 49ers' chances um, you know, going into Green Bay. Any, any team that can run the ball as well as they do, um, and a tight end like Kittle and the defense, I think you can win anywhere. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers pulled the upset. Right, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, one, yeah. of, one of the uh, shining moments of the telecast, I thought, 
in Santa Clara at Levi Stadium was when you guys were showing some video of Trey Lance, you know, back in the day. And, and that's always a big part of a telecast, what you come up with with your associate directors as far as, you know, showing uh, a player some video from maybe high school or college. How much of a challenge can that be sometimes? That's a good question, Joe. I, I, I love finding that stuff, um, you know, whether it's uh, high school footage or them as kids. And obviously it's, it's so different these days because, you know, everybody's now got a phone from the time that their kid is, you know, two years old. Uh, they can take video. So more stuff exists than it, than it used to. Uh, and all high school games, no matter what level you played at, there seems to be video of. So I really, really love looking for that. So I will give away some of my secrets here, Joe, which I don't <laughs> usually like to do. But uh, there's, this, there's this website called Wikipedia, uh, and you can find out stuff on, on pretty much anybody. Uh, so I'll just do a quick uh, Wikipedia search on guys, and it kind of leads you down a road. And then I go and look at um, a lot of these guys' college bios. will have stuff like that, and then it can lead you to their high school uh, scouting reports and things like that, and you see it. Um, so that I just kind of saw that, that uh, Trey Lance had played safety in high school, so then I just went uh, and looked for some high school footage and said, oh, wow, this is, these are some pretty big hits. Uh, there was one great clip we didn't get in, and it's him blocking a field goal attempt and returning it, you know, 70 yards for a touchdown, which was, <laughs> wow. which was great. Yeah. Um, so it's really fun. I, to me, that's, the, that's really part of the job that I love is just finding those, you know, quote-unquote hidden gems that, uh, you know, make the telecast so much fun and put a personality and, and a story to those guys. And then also, you know, when you find that stuff and then you get a chance to talk to, you know, in this situation, Trey, um, you know, and ask them about it. Hey, and, and, you know, our reporter, AJ Ross, who does a great job on background, on, on players and everything like that. Uh, she was asking great questions about him as a safety and, you know, who he watched. You know, was he, you know, a fan of certain safeties or certain quarterbacks or, um, you know, his dad, Trey Lance's dad was a safety, I believe. So um, he gave some props to his dad and stuff like that. But that's the type of stuff I love to find that kind of just makes a telecast stand out more than just the basic X's and O's and things like that. Yeah, there's so much that goes into producing an NFL game or any sport, really. Uh, you mentioned the meeting with the players and the preparation, looking at the video. And you've done other jobs as well in your career. I mean, you, you know, you start at the bottom as a broadcast associate and you're doing graphics. And then you're worrying about commercial integration when you're an associate director. And then some of the video that you were just talking about. But now as a producer, when you compare that to directing and you've done some of that even recently, uh, how does that compare? I mean, have you ever wanted to be a director, or, or is this really what you love, uh, you know, being the producer? No, I, I absolutely love being the producer. I think it's, it's uh, I love telling stories. It's always been something I've, I've been passionate about, is just kind of, uh, you know, telling stories and, and getting people's ideas and visions out there, and, and the producer allows me to, uh, to kind of do that. I, I always say it's, it's like telling a story in real time. You just react to what's happening and tell the viewers the story of what's going on. Uh, and I think all the roles are incredibly important when you get to the producer or director level because you learn uh, what it's like to be in those roles and you learn, hey, uh, you know, this, is a, this makes a good graphic or I can tell the story of, of this through this graphic or I can tell the story of this through this videotape um, or this type of uh, package and things like that you put together. So um, it's, really, it's really I love producing. Now I have directed, I've gotten to direct you know, a game you did play-by-play -play on, which was awesome. Um, and honestly, I, I do enjoy directing. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, my goal in directing has been to use it to become a better producer. Uh, that's kind of why I've asked my bosses if I could direct a few games here and there, uh, just because I think it helps see the broadcast from a different side um, in terms of how the game is seen and shown. 
Uh, also, communication between the producer and the director, between the director and the technicians, and listening to announcers. So, for me, it's uh, well, it's fun and I enjoy it. It's basically just to kind of make me a better producer, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, you know, I always look at the directing position as being more mechanical. I mean, it's almost like you jump into a car and the driver is kind of the the director, but the navigator is the producer. I mean, he's got to look at everything and try to make sure that it, it all comes to fruition. I mean, how have you looked at the two positions? It's a good question, Joe. Yeah, I mean, your driver analogy is, is close. Um, I think it's more of a collaborative effort. Um, you know, when I tell people, you know, people ask me what I do, and I, I kind of explain it. and They go, oh, are you the one who, who says, oh, take camera two, camera three? I'm like, no, I'm the one who says, you know, get a shot of Jimmy Garoppolo. And then the director decides whether it's camera one, camera two, or camera three. Um, so it's, to me, it's more of a collaborative effort between the producer and director. And obviously, I get to work with Mark a lot, so he and I are kind of in sync. Um, we kind of know where each other are going. If I say, hey, you know, get a shot of, of Trey Lance or whoever, uh, I kind of know how he's going to get it, so then I can kind of formulate where we go with things. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely a great partnership to have with the producer and director, and I think that um, you know, the more you work with someone, obviously, in any field, the better you're going to be together as teammates. You mentioned doing the other positions and how much that helps you, and it's interesting how the technology changes so quickly from when you were, let's say, coordinating the graphics to where you are now. There's so much more available as far as statistics and the way the graphics operate. So is that something that you have to try to keep up with? Because, I mean, it really can be overwhelming at times. Yeah. I mean, I I think as far as technology goes, I try to stay on top of it as I can. Uh, obviously, you say it changes, you know, really quickly and really rapidly. Um, but I try, I think it helps me understand what the BA has to do or what the AD has to do or what the EVS operator has to do or the TD has to do or camera people have to do if I have a very, very basic fundamental understanding of how it's done. Not saying I could do it, but at least I know the basics of what they're trying to accomplish so that I don't ask people to try and do things that aren't, you know, possible with the technology, if that makes sense. Yeah. Replays are such a big part of your position. In fact, when you get to the playoffs, CBS adds a replay producer, and that's what you're doing for this game in Tennessee, the Bengals-Titans game, replay producing. So that's similar to what you're doing during the game uh, normally. How do you handle that when you're doing it just by yourself as a producer and being a replay producer where there are more tape machines than you normally have and you're coordinating with the producer, who is Mark Wolf? Sure. So... In the regular season, we obviously have fewer cameras. In the playoffs, uh, I think uh, this crew, I think we've added six or seven cameras. I'm, I'm not sure the exact number. Uh, so it's really just a lot for one person to try and to watch the whole show uh, and to make sure that the best stuff gets on the air. So in the regular season, uh, you know, we've got nine cameras, uh, ten. We take, you know, the all 22 from, the, from this team. So it's basically, you know, nine cameras is manageable. You kind of have a basic feel for what each camera's shooting on which play, so you know if it's a, you know, if it's a 10-yard run to the left, you kind of know which machine will have the best look of it. If it's a 30-yard touchdown pass you know, on the outside hash marks, you kind of know the best look that's going to have it. Um, but in the playoffs, you've got so much more. Um, you know, and obviously, the Super Bowl, I've been fortunate enough to be a replay producer um, for the Super Bowl as well, where you have you know, over 100 cameras, so there are actually three of us do the job for the Super Bowl. Um, and it's just a different way of looking at things. You just kind of have to look at the overall big picture uh in this case let mark do what he's been doing for 18 weeks and they've done a you know phenomenal job with it and just try to supplement and add to you know what they've been doing all year 
No, I always looked at it like there was enough pressure put on producers back in the old days to show the correct replay because, you know, you, hey, the, the viewing audience really wants to see that replay. Now you really have to, you know, pile on more pressure because there are teams that are thinking about, okay, am I going to challenge this? Or, you know, what kind of angles do they have? What kind of replay? And this has been going on for years, but it's just there's more and more scrutiny, especially with social media. So how much does that weigh on you that, hey, the game might be affected by what replays you guys get? All right, Joe, now you've scared me because I never <laughs> thought about it that way before. Uh, no, I'm uh, obviously, obviously, it's, you know, clearly in the, in the back of your head somewhere hidden. But you can't think about it in the moment. Uh, I mean, you, you just go with your gut and you say, you say, okay, you know, I've watched football since I was, you know, five years old. So, I, you know, uh, or basketball, you know, the same. So you just, you just kind of go with your gut and you know, hey, I got to show that the guy's feet get in bounds. Did it, you know, did it nick off the guy's finger before going out of bounds? Or, hey, did he get, you know, did he get it off before the shot clock expired? That type of stuff. So you just, you basically just go with, with what you do as a sports fan. You've been watching these games and these sports your whole life. Um, and you just kind of know what's important and what you need to show. Um, I tell you, the one thing that's kind of changed in the last uh, five, six, seven years is penalties. I don't think penalties were replayed as much, um, you know, the, uh, a few years ago as they are now because there's so much scrutiny on, hey, was it the right call or did he really hit the quarterback too hard or, you know, was it targeting or was, you know, did the, was it running into the punter or roughing the punter, that type of thing. So um, I, I think that's really the area that – replays have come more scrutiny over with with penalties um not so much with you know whether whether a touchdown or he got his feet in bounds or whether a fumble and that type of stuff so but joe i'll tell you one quick story so uh years ago you know every year we have an nfl seminar and the referee whoever the head referee at the time is comes and tells you know stories and i think i was an ad at this time just starting to produce and uh the referee was up there telling us that he was doing a, a game uh and the it was a question of whether it was a fumble or not a fumble and the referee he looks up at the jumbotron they're in the superdome uh with the saints game and he looks at the jumbotron and he sees oh clearly this was a fumble you know no problem this is going to take no time and he goes over the coach he goes don't worry i think it was sean payton was the coach i'm not sure about the details but he goes don't worry coach you know i look at the jumbotron clearly going to be a fumble he goes under replay review and for whatever reason, TV didn't have the angle that he saw on the Jumbotron. Oh. So he couldn't overturn it oh. because whatever reason, TV didn't have the same cameras. That producer decided not to show that angle. I don't know the stories. It was not a CBS game, so I don't know the details of it. Uh, I actually think it was a preseason broadcast. But, um, you know, so that type of stuff weighs in your mind. And, and that story sticks in my head every time I do a game. Hey, I got to make sure that I give, you know, these referees and these coaches and these players every single possible look. That, uh, that could decide the game. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows you guys are doing the best that you can to get as many replays and the best replay and all that stuff, but what goes into ISOs? Uh, what kind of challenge is that? Because you can only isolate on so many players, and even if it's not for the replay for a challenge, you want to make sure that you get reactions because some of those reactions are remembered forever, whether it be the quarterback or the coach or, or even sometimes it's a fan. You just catch them at the right time and you have that replay and it's something that is just indelible. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. ISOs are uh, it's a conversation Mark Grant and I have on you know, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Uh, and it depends, you know, who the teams are, and it, obviously it changes in game two. I should add Sundays to that as well. Um, you know, we go into the game with a plan. Uh, you know, take the 49ers for example. We wanted to make sure that uh, Debo was isoed every single play, oh, whether yeah. he was in the backfield 
or he was out wide. We wanted to make sure Kittle was isolated every single play because he, you know, he's such an impactful tight end, whether, you know, no matter where he lines up. Um, you know, same thing with on defense with Bosa. We wanted to make sure we had him isolated so we could see, you know, was he getting double teamed? Was he able to, you know, beat the one-on-one? Um, so every, every week and almost, almost every play is, is you just kind of pick your isos and, a lot of times you, you get lucky and you just happen to have the right guy ISOed and he makes the play. Um, but you always want to make sure you're covered in some way that you have you know, a wider shot that covers a couple more players and things like that just to cover you. But um, it is uh, an inexact science, I will say, is calling ISOs. Yeah, I was going to say because you can plan on how a game is going to go and how you want to isolate it. And then you have a game like you had week 18 where the Colts are playing the Jaguars and everybody thinks, okay, the Colts will win. They'll get into the playoffs. Well, they get blown out by the Jaguars. I mean, it's a surprise. So you have to react to that. Yeah. And I, and I think that was a, you know, obviously, I, I'll be honest with you, going into the game, I was like, oh, yeah, this game will probably be a blowout. So we had a lot of blowout material. <laughs> but then it was a blowout the other way where we were like, oh, man, now we got to react to the Colts season is over. And then what are these guys going through? And what's the, you know, what's the future of this organization now? Uh, you know, and then on the flip side, we have the Jaguars possibly blowing, getting the number one overall pick again. So it kind of opened up two different storylines that we weren't necessarily expecting. I, I will say we were prepared for them. Uh, I always like to prepare for, for any possible situation. But, um, you know, when you just have to change on the fly. And that's why I talk about just live storytelling. You just react to what you're seeing and what's happening and give the viewers the story that you think is important. I want to talk about some of the announcers that you've worked with. But first, I, I want to talk about some of the folks that you learned from on your way to becoming a producer. I mean, you worked for a long time with Bob Dekas on basketball games, and Bob Fishman, the legendary director, who actually is going to be directing his last NFL game on Saturday, this playoff game, the Cincinnati-Tennessee game, and eventually it'll be his last Final Four coming up in the spring, which makes me sad because that guy is uh, just the best director ever. So I'm just curious yeah. about your uh, you know, emotions about that and what you learned from both Bobs. Yeah, so I will, I'll start by saying that I am incredibly fortunate that in my career at CBS, from being a broadcast associate to an AD, I worked with every single producer and director at some point on some event. Mm-hmm. So I got to take a little bit from everybody, which I thought was which really helped me. And I, didn't, I don't think I realized it at the time, but after the fact, when I kind of realized it, I was like, oh, I've taken this from this person and this from this person and this from this person. So, um, you know, and... and the people that I learned from, you mentioned, you know, Bob Fishman and, and Bob Dekas and, and Mark Wolf, um, you know, and all the other producer directors I've got to work with, they learned from the people before them. You know, uh, you know, Suzanne Smith, who's an unbelievable director, and Craig Silver, who's a tremendous producer who does our SEC package. You know, they learned from kind of the pioneers of sports television, and they learned from, the, you know, so on and so forth. So being at CBS, you've kind of gotten the, the in my opinion, the best producers and directors in the business from basically when sports television kind of started and got it got into its golden age. So while I, you know, I spent a lot of time working with Bob Dekas and Bob Fishman, um, you know, I've learned a lot from the two of them. Uh, and I kind of learned from who they learned from too. So it's been an unbelievable experience. Um, but just taking from, from, from Bob Dekas for a second, who I did a uh, countless number of NFL games with and, and NCAA tournament games with and final force. Uh, he's an, you know, unbelievable people person. Uh, he was obviously passionate about college basketball and passionate about uh, making sure that the you know the fans got the best possible broadcast. But uh, who he was as a, as a person and how he cared about his crew and the people that worked with him is really something that I took from him, and it really something that resonates with me. That um, 
you really want to create an incredible work environment so that people enjoy doing this. Um, so that's, that's really the number one thing that I took from Bob Dekas. Uh, and Bob Fishman is, like you said, he's unbelievable. He's, you know, one of the best directors to ever, to ever do sports television. So to be able to sit behind him and AD for him or be a BA for him and just kind of learn and see how he sees the game and see how he directs cameras and pick shots and just kind of overall how he works has just been an unbelievable education that I don't think is any, anything I could have gotten anywhere else. So it's been an absolute pleasure. People who are not in the business don't realize what goes on in that truck. I mean, sometimes it can be really hectic in there, but Bob Fishman never seemed to lose his cool when, you know, when I've been in there listening to him. I think that, that is probably something that's quite unique in the business. Do you agree? Because, I mean, there, there's just a lot of tension because uh, there's a lot of, like we said, pressure and, you know, the heat of the moment and all that stuff that goes on that people have no idea because they haven't been inside of a TV truck. Yeah, it's controlled chaos, Joe. It is absolutely just controlled <laughs> right. chaos. Anybody, right. anybody who comes and sits and watches is like, well, what the heck did I just watch? And you're like, yeah, that's what it's like normally. And you just, it's controlled chaos. I, I will give away a little secret about Fish that he is, uh, like you said, he's, he's calm and cool and his voice is pretty much always the same. But when Fish gets excited, he stands up. So there have been situations when I was ADing and it's the you know, Final Four, the National Championship game. And, you know, it's coming down to a last-second shot, like the, uh, you know, Butler-Duke game uh, when yeah. Duke won the national championship. Fish, Fish was sitting down, and that shot goes in the air, and Fish stands up as the shot's in the air because he was so excited for what possibly could have happened. Uh, and then obviously cut a phenomenal sequence, you know, after the fact of both Butler, you know, losing and Duke winning and all that stuff. So, um, but it, it, is, it is controlled chaos, but it is absolutely something I love and an environment I love to be in. Is there a certain nervousness that maybe, you know, gets better as time goes on and you have more experience? Because when you first hear, you know, that you're coming on and the countdown, you know, you're coming out of a commercial and then that, you know, the music comes on, let's say for NCAA tournament for the, you know, for the NCAA tournament, you've got, you know, I mean, it's just everybody's excited and you don't want to get too nervous. So is it something that you learned over the years to sort of temper that? I didn't know there was going to be singing on this podcast. Here. That's, that, was a, that was a nice, nice, nice curveball. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is a uh, nervous excitement. I mean, I've obviously never been a high-level athlete, but I think it's kind of in talking to them when we meet with them, it's kind of the same thing that, that athletes get before a big game. Uh, you just get nervous excitement. You know, at this point, you're comfortable in your skills and your ability to do the job. Uh, you're, you're confident in the people on your team to do their jobs so you know, in a great way that all of our people do. Um, and I think it's just that nervous excitement that you get to do this job. You get to have your vision of a football or basketball game or whatever sport you're covering. And that's what America and the world see of your, of your coverage. It's really just a nervous excitement that I really love every single time I do a game, no matter what type of game it is. In America, you know, they see the announcers, and you see them in a different way, you know, especially now as the producer when you're really working in concert with these announcers. You know, you just got done with the season with Greg Gumbel and Adam Archuleta. Before that, you were with Kevin Harlan and Rich Gannon, and that's on the NFL. Basketball, all different announcers. You know, the, the final four, you've worked very closely with Tracy Wolfson. You know, Jim Nance is there. All of these announcers uh, – Tell us some stories about you know what it's like being around them because not everybody gets a chance to do what you do. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're very lucky at CBS that 
Uh, all of our announcers that I've worked with, and I, I think I've worked with almost all of them at this point in some capacity, are really, really good people, you know, who really have a passion for doing great television. Um, and they, they realize the work that um, producers and directors and BAs and ADs and production managers and runners and stats guys and, and, and everybody, what they do and the hard work that everyone puts in, so they, they realize how important everyone's job is. Um, and they want the ultimate goal that we all want, just to have a really good, fun, entertaining show that people enjoy watching. So getting to this year working with Greg Gumbel and Adam Archuleta, uh, it's been great. You know, Greg is one of the nicest people and just so easygoing. He's so easy to work with. Uh, it makes it fun every single week to just get to produce with Greg and his great ideas and the way he sees the game. And he's obviously a Hall of Fame broadcaster. So working with him is just, you know, an honor every week. Um, and Archuleta's been great the first year with him. I had worked some college games with him off and on, on random occurrences. Uh, but getting to be with him was phenomenal. Just the way he sees the game is different than a lot of other guys. I primarily work with only quarterbacks um, as the analyst, whether it be on NFL or college games I'd done. So getting to see the game through Arch's eyes of safety was really interesting and, and no pun intended, eye-opening, uh, as you could see the game through the defensive mind. And, and, you know, I maybe had some replays that were different than what I would have done for a quarterback just because of the way Arch sees the game. I was going to say, yeah, there has to be an adjustment, right? When you you have a, you know go from a Rich Gannon to an Archuleta, or even the, from the play-by-play style of a Harlan versus a Gumble. Sure, absolutely. Um, and and it, my I always say is okay. Jonathan Siegel is not the face and voice on television. It's Greg Gumble's face. It's Kevin Harlan's voice. It's it's Adam Archuleta. It's Rich Gannon on basketball. You know, mostly with Andrew, Andrew Catalan and Steve Lapis. Um, you know, it's their faces and their voices that are on TV. So it's my job to help them get their voice and their thoughts on television in the best way possible. So for me to have a thought of, hey, this is how the game should be shown or this is how you should see the game, doesn't make sense if, if Adam's not going to see it that way or Coach Lapis isn't going to see it that way. So I really have to listen to them and see how they are watching the game and get their thoughts to produce the best show so that we're all kind of a cohesive team. It's quite an entertaining, too, when you're talking about the NCAA tournament. You mentioned Andrew Catalan, and you're doing four games in one day. That's eight teams yeah. to prepare for. Yeah. It's really yeah. one of those uh, jobs that I don't know that you can compare it to anything else throughout the year. I mean, that, that one day when you're doing four games is really tough. Yeah, it's, it's probably my favorite day of the year. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was my favorite day of the year growing up as a sports fan watching it. Uh, obviously, you know, you get to watch every game at that point in time, but now doing it, it is, it is exhausting and incredibly exuberating to be there to do these four games in a day. I love the NCAA tournament. Um, I love doing those four games. Uh, prepping for eight teams is not easy, uh, especially for, you know, Andrew Catalan and for Steve Lapis and, you know, our reporters just learning names of all these players on eight different teams and, you know, we always used to say, okay, when you get your assignment, you get your bracket, here are the eight teams. You always hoped, okay, I know two teams pretty well. I had them in the regular season. And then there's two other teams. Okay, maybe I had them once. I've seen them a bunch on TV. And then the other four teams, you're lucky if, you, if you've seen them, maybe on TV once or twice. And then there could be a team where you may have never heard of the school before. Uh, <laughs> that's obviously an exaggeration. But, you know, there, there are times where you get a school and you're like, Hmm, what conference are they in again? How do, you know, and, and, that, and those are my favorite teams to cover because 
you know, you sit, we sit there on the day, the day before the, the, uh, the uh, four games, and we, this is obviously pre-COVID, and we watched all eight teams practice. And that day is much longer than doing four games. You're watching eight teams practice. You know, and you come out there, and we've had Gonzaga the last couple of years or Kansas, and you're like, okay, I know this team. We'll talk to Coach Few. We to talk to Coach Self. We get, we get the basics of these teams and what they are. And then you get, uh, you know, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson or Texas Southern, and their coaches come over or their SIDs come over, and you are picking their brain for that entire, you know, 45 minutes that their team's on the floor. And it, it's, it's awesome. We get so many stories and so many great things. One of my favorite tournament games I've ever done and had the chance to produce was uh, a game that probably nobody watched to the end because it was, I, I honestly think it was a 35 or 45, 45-point 45 block. It was Gonzaga versus Fairleigh Dickinson, and I've never had more fun on a show then we had that, that show with, with Coach Lapis and Catalan and Andy Goldberg, our director. Uh, I, I, we just had so much fun in terms of the stories we were telling about players and coaches. And, you know, the, the Fairleigh Dickinson coach is an interesting guy. He's you know, a very good coach, but he, he likes to listen to a playlist of only, like, school marching band theme songs to warm up before <laughs> games. So we got to tell that story, and we showed his playlist on TV. It was just oh, it was just. You know, so that's why I love the NCAA tournament so much because the game itself that you're doing may not be the best game, but you can have fun with it and really enjoy the telecast. And I, and I always say, Joe, like if we're enjoying the show in the truck, someone at home has to be watching it too. If I'm not enjoying doing it, then people at home probably aren't enjoying watching it. Yeah, no, that that's really cool. And I'll tell you a quick story. When I was doing Sienna play-by-play, you know I did that on, on the radio mm-hmm. for four years, and we made the yeah. NCAA tournament a couple times, and I'll never forget being at our first-round game. Of course, we got blown out by Maryland, the number one seed, and they won the, the national championship that year. But I'll never forget Billy Packer is doing the game, mm-hmm. and he pulled me aside. And he said, hey, what can you tell me about these Sienna kids? And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just a great experience for any young broadcaster or anybody with the school that, hey, the school that you're with – uh, you know, somebody who's big time at CBS really wants to know more about him. Yeah, I mean, I had the privilege of working with Billy Packer for years, uh, you know, at CBS. Uh, and he always said, I don't need to talk to the coach. Yeah, the SID can tell me the names and the stats. He goes, but give me the radio guy. He goes, I want to talk to that radio guy. That is the most important part. They've watched every single game, every single play. They know every single player. Like, he was adamant. I have to talk to the radio guy or I can't cover this team. So, Thank you for your help that time, Joe. <laughs> You're welcome. Now, you have been covering soccer recently, USA <laughs> soccer, World Cup qualifying, and that's a whole other challenge as far as you know, getting information and even you know, trying to show the sport maybe in different ways. Tell us about you know, what's been going on with that at CBS and how you see that growing. Yeah, so it's been, it's been unbelievable. Um, I mean, CBS went from having no soccer to having unbelievable amounts of soccer now through Paramount Plus. Uh, you know, our streaming service. So we had zero soccer uh, in our portfolio at CBS. Um, and then all of a sudden we got the Champions League, uh, which is UEFA Champions League. It's basically the best teams in Europe. If you win your league, you then qualify for what's called the Champions League and you have a tournament to decide the best club team in Europe. Um, and we thought we had uh, about a year and a half to two years before we would come on the air with that. So you know, there were preliminary meetings, but no one was really assigned as far as production in, in terms of that. And then all of a sudden, um, COVID happens and Turner decides to back out of the, you know, the last year of their contract of, of the games. And, and we picked it up. Um, and basically, we had 28, 29 days 
to get a studio show together and come on the air and cover um, the knockout stage uh, of that year's Champions League tournament, which was an unbelievable accomplishment. I still am incredibly proud that we pulled it off. Um, it was a small group of us just working quickly and, and just doing the best we could to get something on the air that we thought was going to be a good product. And um, obviously the American soccer fans are different than European soccer fans, but it's still a European game. So kind of having that European flavor and European coverage because it was a Europe, you know, they're European teams. Um, and then getting to do the U.S. men's national team uh, in World Cup qualifying. And we had the uh, Nations League this tournament this summer, uh, which is an unbelievable game. They, they beat Mexico for that championship. Uh, has been really, really rewarding for me in my career. Um, I've always loved soccer. I've been a huge soccer fan. Um, and I never thought I'd get to really cover soccer because it wasn't something that I thought CBS was interested in getting. Um, and then when we got the rights to the U.S. You know, soccer team World uh, Cup qualifying, I pretty much said, hey, I really, really want to do this. Um, you know, I love soccer. I love U.S. Uh, soccer, men's national soccer team. And I thought that World Cup qualifying um, – had kind of been overlooked for the U.S. soccer team um, in years past. Uh, the home games, we only have the rights to their away games. So their home games are covered by ESPN and Fox, and they've done a great job um, covering those games. But the road games, when they go to Costa Rica and Honduras and Jamaica and El Salvador and all these countries, they, they haven't been uh, – ESPN had them for a while way back then, and they've kind of just bounced around. Um, and really the coverage hasn't been the same as the home games. Um, you know, I remember one time watching a U.S. game. I was streaming it online from some guy in a Caribbean country just with his iPhone streaming it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> streaming it back on the Internet from watching it in whatever, you know, whatever country he was in. So um, to kind of bring the level up of the production um, and the coverage that the U.S. men's national team gets on these Road World Cup qualifying games has been great. Um, you know, we got, uh, you know, Clint Dempsey uh, and Charlie Davies and Moa Du and Aguchi Anuehu who were big-time names in the U.S. soccer team uh, in the past, and really none of them had done much television before. You know, Moadu had done some for Fox, and Charlie had done some with the New England Revolution and the MLS, but, you know, Clint was basically retired and living a happy life in North Carolina and hunting and fishing and playing golf, and, uh, you know, we kind of got him out of, uh, you know, out of the woods and onto TV, and he's been great, and I think the show's been really fun to do because the, the guys are really fun to be around and enjoy being around each other and their friends both on and off the off camera. So it's been really a rewarding experience that I've loved doing. And this is the present and really the future because you have to figure there's going to be a lot more streaming. You mentioned Paramount Plus. Uh, so do you foresee that the networks will try to improve the quality of those? Because as you said, I mean, sometimes you'll, you'll have, you know, the streaming won't be quite as good. Uh, but do you foresee that that is going to, you know, be stepped up to where uh, it is on regular, you know, national TV? Yeah, I mean, I think Paramount Plus has done a great job, especially with sports. Um, you know, our NFL games are on Paramount Plus. Our college basketball games are on Paramount Plus. Um, and obviously our soccer is on Paramount Plus and mostly only on Paramount Plus. Some games are on CBS Sports Network. Um, some of our Champions League games coming up are going to be on CBS. Um, but I, I think Paramount Plus has done a really good job in terms of the quality uh, of the broadcast, uh, you know, quality, because – you know, now everyone's streaming. It's, you know, I don't, you know, you watch HBO Max or you watch Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is, and you're watching shows that way. So I think it's, I can't really tell a difference when I watch a soccer game on Paramount Plus as opposed to when I watch it on, you know, ESPN or Fox or anything like that. I want to know about how you got to this point going way back 
before we finish up this podcast, because when you were a kid, obviously you're a sports fan, but to yeah. get into sports TV, you go to Duke, which is you know great university and great basketball team and all that stuff. But how did you know exactly what you wanted to do? When did it come to you that you wanted to be in sports TV production? Whew. Okay, so <laughs> let me think for a second. This is for the kids out there that you know. There, there yeah, are a lot yeah, of kids yeah, exactly. who want to get yeah, into exactly. this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. So. Uh, I kind of knew that I wanted to get into television or film or some type of media uh, when I was in high school. I just, I really always just loved it. I mean, we, you know, we had a camcorder and I would make goofy movies and, <laughs> and things like that. And, you know, I, um, I did, uh, I worked at the local DC, I grew up in Washington, DC, public access television. Just, they had like a class for high school kids just doing, you know, very basic television and stuff like that. And I really just enjoyed it. Um, and then when I was uh, applying to colleges, I, I, I really wanted to get into, I kind of knew that I wanted to get into television or film or, or some type of, uh, of aspect like that. So I, you know, I applied to Syracuse and Northwestern and Ithaca and BU and all your normal, you know, communication schools that are all phenomenal at that. And then obviously Duke is, you know, was a great school and I absolutely loved it. Um, and they had a, a student television station that was completely student run. And I said, Hmm, I can go to Syracuse where I'd get an unbelievable, you know, education in this, but I wouldn't be able to do anything until I was a junior or senior. Right. And obviously Duke is a, a great school and obviously the basketball team is, is fun. And they just had a lot of, you know, sports there that I could, you know, be a fan of. Uh, so I just, so I just got into the student station right away in my freshman year, I'm, you know, have a sports show and I'm, uh, you know, doing other things around the station with other TV shows and, I got to do some, you know, play-by-play. Don't look for the tapes because they're not very good. But, you know, I, I got the experience that, that was really something that I, I really realized at that point in time. Hey, I really like sports, and I really like television. So why not put the two together? Um, and then my junior and senior year of college, I was basically working um, as a runner, or uh, sometimes I got to be a graphics PA, just hired locally to do uh, college basketball games, you know, whether they be at Duke or Wake Forest or uh, North Carolina, NC State, you know, so many opportunities there. But men's, women's, you know, their soccer games, um, you know, these schools too, you know, football games, things like that. So it really gave me the opportunity to kind of learn um, in college and that. And then I worked uh, in the summer. Um, I was an intern at what was home team sports doing the Orioles games. So that was my first professional foray, I guess, into the into broadcast industry was doing uh, Orioles games, just as a runner and things like that. And then um, when I graduated college, the, they hired me, the Orioles, uh, HTS hired me to do the, the score bug for Orioles games. So uh, I absolutely love baseball, but when you have to pay attention to every single pitch, it gets to be a very long game, Joe. I know you know that from doing play-by-play, but when you have to do the bug and you worry about, is that a ball or strike every for the entire nine innings, it, it, you start to have a new appreciation for baseball. So... Um, that's kind of how I, I got into it. I just found a love for it and really enjoyed it. And then, uh, I was fortunate enough to get hired at CBS and I've been there for 21 years now. That's been great. Yeah, that, that is a long time. That was the last thing I wanted to finish with is just being at a network that long and knowing all those people that we have already talked about. Uh, and it's kind of like family when you think about it, because you've been there yeah. so long. And I, I think CBS is top notch when it comes to that, because, uh, you know, great friendships have been developed. And, you know, even though it's competitive and everybody's trying to get ahead, uh, it just seems like there's a great atmosphere surrounding everybody there. Yeah, no, absolutely, Joe. I mean, you've, you've been there as long as I have in, in doing stuff at CBS, and it's been unbelievable. Like you said, yeah, sure. I mean, we're competitive. Sure, I want, you know, 
this assignment, and I'm sure there are other you know producers who want the assignment that I have, and I'm still great friends with them. You know, I I you know talk to these guys and girls all the time, and you know we hang out and socially and things like that. So uh, it's an absolutely great environment that that's been a pleasure to work for. And you got a family too, so uh, you know got to take care of the family and travel and do all that. Your hands are tight. Your hands are full, right? Yeah, very, very full. Yes, <laughs> taking care of two little kids and and being on the road is relying on my wife to be a superstar all the time. So. <laughs> yeah, she's the rising star in the business. That's absolutely. Right. <laughs> she's she's more than a rising star. It's unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. Jonathan, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Have fun in Tennessee at the playoff game, and then with the uh, soccer and the basketball and everything that's coming up. Really appreciate it. Always love working with you, and it's uh, been a pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Joe, thank you so much. It's absolutely a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, and to have you on our, on our crew all NFL year has been great, too. So I look forward to seeing you soon. That's Jonathan Siegel, producer from CBS Sports. Join us again next week for another edition of the Sports Virus Podcast. For now, I'm Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.